Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the program. It's going to be a fun show today because for the first time, I'm bringing on ex-Niners Nation's beat writer, Jordan Elliott. Jordan, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. It's a new day, new opportunities, and, uh, you know, blessed to be here. Happy to be talking 49ers. Yeah, and I mean, before the show, like I said, I wanted to give a shout-out to you because he recently accepted a job, it seems, as a deputy editor. Uh, Digital editor, yeah, at NBC. Digital editor, not deputy. Digital editor, there's the right word, at NBC Sports. Congrats to you, man. Uh, Wish you all the best there. That's a phenomenal role for you. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm really excited. It'll be nice to get a break from uh, as much as I love the 49ers stuff, doing all the Bay Area sports and uh, being able to switch things up a bit. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that'll be a cool role. But like we said, we're here to talk 49ers. And before we get into the standouts, before we get into some of the fallers, you know, talk both sides of training camp, you were there not necessarily every day, but you certainly had observations when you were there. What were kind of some things that stood out to you from 49ers training camp? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the biggest thing to me was I expected there to be a pretty big difference between the quarterback play. Like there would be a clear, you know, riser, maybe some guys that weren't playing as well. And honestly, like I thought, especially the three main guys being Darnold, Lance, Purdy, um, that trifecta all looked pretty close in the aspect of if injuries happen or something happens where one of those guys is forced to take the majority of snaps this year. I don't think the 49ers outlook changes drastically. I think that they're still a playoff team and they're still a team that's so loaded that um, if they do get in the playoffs, no matter who's under center, um, they can make some noise. Yeah. I mean, overall, I I, I, I kind of do agree with you in that quarterback realm. Personally, I think that there was it's tough to name a, a clear winner at a training camp from that position. I think they were all close, and I was there for a good portion of it. I, that's that's just the outlook of how the quarterback situation is now. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that there is any competition for the starting job. It's unquestioned Brock Perry will be the top player there. But that was an observation for sure. I mean, there were a lot of different things that went on during uh, the duration of training camp. An interesting one uh, where you'll see a lot of up and down days. As usual, it seemed like the defense had its way for a majority of camp. That's something that's kind of gone away. Uh, I was interested by that, especially without Nick Bosa. What did you see from that defensive line unit, uh, one that's added Javon Hargrave? Yeah, you know, I think starting with the uh, the blue chip guys um, on the inside, Hargrave and Armstead is going to be quite the duo. Um, I think that they are in the running for best. If we're taking two of the best interior linemen from any team, they're to me, the list starts with them. Uh, I was really impressed with uh, how Hargrave did look and just, you know, it, it, his build is very unique because he's not particularly tall. I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say he's hovering right around maybe six feet. And especially mm-hmm. when you're next to Eric Armstead, who's six foot nine, I think that gets exaggerated a bit. But his pad level and his low center of gravity is just so destructive. Um, you know, his tape speaks for itself, but getting a chance after watching all that to see it in person, 
Um, I was I was very impressed. But uh, you know, you were there for more days than I was. I was there for three practices, all in pads, uh, for what it's worth. So I do think it does help when evaluating trench play. The guy who really surprised me the most was Cleland Farrell. I, I was thoroughly impressed with what I saw from him. You know, I don't think it's like, oh, he's going to go out and get 10 sacks this year. I'm not by any means trying to, you know, oversell it here. But he's going to be a very competent, you know, edge player for a long time in my eyes. And I think that he will be a key rotation piece for them, especially as you, you know, get Drake Jackson a little bit more, um, you know, worked into that rotation and maybe his workload increases. Cleveland Farrell is an extremely dependable uh, guy that you can give a lot of snaps to there. And, you know, there was reps where he was beating Trent Williams in 11s where I'm like, man, like that, that to me is always the barometer. Um, I remember in 2021, uh, Jordan Willis was a guy I talked about a lot and it was because of what he did against Trent Williams. And, you know, he had a solid year. He was a key piece for them. Uh, and I think that Cleveland Farrell is a guy that can have a similar kind of production for them. Um, and when you look at the cost and what it took to get him in there, that's a great win for the 49ers if he can be that. That's interesting you point out uh, Cleveland because personally I thought he didn't have the strongest start to camp because I was expecting you know him, Drake Jackson, the guys who were starting off as the top defensive ends, especially given the money Farrell got, which kind of solidifies his roster spot, to stand out. Didn't think that happened early on. Um, at least in one-on-one -on -one reps, I thought Farrell, you know, didn't look like he had a full pass rush arsenal. I do have to say, though, over the 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 second half of training camp, I did think that Farrell improved, um, especially on that last day. Um, Farrell definitely improved, and it was interesting because he was working against Trent Williams on some of those reps. And again, it, there is a disparity when you talk about first team guys versus second team guys because when you talk about the first team guys, guess what? it's like you're going up against pretty top tier talent in Trent Williams. Whereas the second team guys are going up against the likes of Matt Pryor and Jalen Moore. So you're obviously expecting a little bit of a different set. Uh, and so that's kind of, that, that's kind of, you know, uh, the interesting part of what is going on with this situation. Um, but I thought the defensive line impressed as expected with a lot of different names in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, that's to me all, you know, we spent so much time talking about, quarterbacks and you know Kyle Shanahan and his ability to scheme and now we have you know Brandon Ayuk looks like he, he could be a top five wide receiver in the league if he could uh you know take over what he's done in camp into this season but for me the heartbeat the identity of this 49ers team is always going to be that defensive line and uh I I don't see any reason to think they're going to drop off uh you know losing um the production that Samson Ebukam and Charles Amenihu had uh, it's going to be tough. It'll, it'll be hard to replace that. But I also think the boost that Javon Hargrave gives them on the interior really um, offsets that in a different way. It's not the same production, obviously. It's coming from a different spot on the line. But you just start thinking about how well they're going to be able to push the pocket. And, you know, Javon Kinlaw looks incredible. And I know last year, you know, I was one of those people where I said something similar. I thought he looked good in camp. I think he looks much more comfortable this year. While I, I saw – Flashes last year, he looks like a guy where that knee is where it needs to be. Last year, it was still kind of, you know, he, was it. he wasn't practicing every day, if I remember correctly. There was, you know, a little bit of a, a pitch count there. This year, he looked like he was full go. And uh, if he's a guy where he could just give him 15, 20 quality snaps a game, again, that's a huge win for this team and uh, could really open things up. 
I, I agree. I mean, Kinlaw, this is the first time that I've really heard him take extensive one-on-one reps this year. And against the backups, I thought he looked especially, you know, he looked especially fresh. He, he, he was inconsistent sometimes against the starters, which is expected against his starting level offensive lineman. But I like what I saw from Kinlaw, and he definitely looks as healthy as he has been. Um, going back to your initial point of Hargrave, Hargrave's an interesting, uh, he's an interesting guy, but it's pretty clear he's worth the money that you paid for him. He's he's a he's an elite level defensive tackle, and so that is that is you know a very very big thing. Um, and the 49ers wanted to shore up that interior. They wanted to make sure they had those two guys. I think Hargrave definitely fits the fits the bill for what the 49ers want. And I also think he's going to open things up for Ark Armstead as well, which is you know an underappreciated 49er player because of how much he does. I think both both of those guys are going to work well simultaneously. Yeah, definitely. And the thing is with Armstead, as you mentioned, like if you get him one on one, he has this, uh, you know, stab lift move that he goes to. That's just absolutely deadly where, um, you know, he's able to get his hands on the forearm of an offensive lineman and really uh, win that battle, leverage at the line and uh, rip through um, that week. What was it? Week 18 game in L.A., not last year, but the year before he had two sacks in a three sack game using that same move uh, where he was able to isolate on a guard. Um, so. Yeah, I'm really excited to see the stunts and the twists and all the things that they scheme up to get these guys um, those favorable matchups. I agree. Let's go to some standouts. I know we talked about some players along the defensive line that really, uh, you know, uh, piqued our interest. Who who else do you think uh, was kind of on that list for you? Um, you know, I was really impressed with Braden Willis. Uh, he was a guy that I thought, you know, uh, that the things that will come with time, blocking, uh, you know, just getting a feel for some of that stuff. It's going to take time. You'll hear a lot of people who've been in the league a long time will always talk about how tight end is one of the hardest positions to transition to from college to the pros. Um, but he looked like a guy uh, running routes where um, he, he was getting to his landmarks. He was getting it out of his breaks really crisply. And he just looked like a comfortable receiver, um, even little things where, uh, you know, they're selling a run action and he's running a little drag route. Um, he's doing a really good job to sell that run action, which is creating separation. And uh, even on plays where he wasn't getting the ball, I thought he did a good job uh, finding the soft spot of zone when they, they had zone coverage out there and uh, creating separation and just being open and being a viable um, option for whoever the quarterback was on the field. There we go. Like Braden Willis is a name thought definitely he was a guy who impressed and if I'm not going to lie, it was a bit of a disappointing battle for that backup tight end spot. I didn't think that a lot of players in that group showed up, uh, showed up them, like to the level that you'd hope in a competition. But Braden Willis was a guy who definitely, you know, kind of starts to separate his his name out there in that group. I thought he did a lot of good things. And the important part is what you brought up things that'll take a little bit of time blocking is certainly one of them i think willis is still pretty raw as a blocker will still need to improve in that area and that's where you know a player like a charlie warner or one of those guys where um you know they're pretty good at blocking might not be as well-rounded of a player might be a more ready day one player but brayden willis you got to be happy with what you've seen because solid route runner but more importantly, I thought his hands were pretty solid on the uh, overall. And I think that that's going to be important with the way that he's going to be used. You know, a guy who's kind of used as not necessarily a check down option, but more as a safety blanket, like the 49ers like to use uh, tight ends in this offense. And I thought that that's something that we saw from Braden Willis. 
Absolutely. And my, I'm so sorry. Do my iMessage on my computer is going? I don't know how to I'll mute myself when you're talking. I'm really sorry about that. Um, you're good. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me was, you know, uh, of the three practices I attended, I thought Cameron Latou had one really good practice. I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. which day it was. I think it was Thursday last week. Um, I thought he, I'd have to double check my notes. I apologize. But, you know, I, I thought Willis looked like the much more pro ready guy that could be right. out sooner. Um, but again, there's so many things like, like the blocking is one thing where admittedly I'm not watching every rep of how they're blocking. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you've been out there. It's really hard to watch 11 guys on both sides of the ball. So maybe I am missing something where maybe Latou is, is excelling as a blocker and there's things he's doing right. that Maybe some of the other guys aren't, but just based off what I saw in the one-on-ones and some of the receiving stuff, yeah, he, he's dropped a decent amount of balls, which again, Hey, like I remember, um, who was it? Uh, it was Jamar Chase a couple years ago. They were talking about yeah, how the training camp drops. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is terrible. This is horrible. And then he ends up being one of the best receivers in the NFL from day one. So I'm not saying Cameron Latou is Jamar Chase, but I also think that, hey, let's let this guy get in some game action before we, you know, cast too harsh a judgment. But I agree with you. It was a bit underwhelming. And, you know, outside of the handful of games we got to see with Jordan Reed in 2020, there's never really been a super dynamic player. Um, as a, as a secondary option at tight end outside of George Kittle. And it's just like, you know, I, I always go back to, uh, you know, New England in the early 2010s and their ability to really uh, take advantage of opposing defenses by having two elite tight ends. And it feels like it's been a missed opportunity uh, having one of those here the last few years without the second. So I'd be really interested to see if, you know, one of those guys can become uh, somewhat viable. I'm not placing that expectation on them, but, you know, I, I think, the ability with the way they're, they're able to run the football, having two dynamic tight ends like that just would take this offense to a, an even higher level. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's something, you know, they've looked for for a while. Of course, they're not trying to ex- like um, put too much resources into it. And I think that they've personally, I think they've done a good job in shying away from the free agent market at a time where it seems the tight end, even the TE2 position is skyrocketed in terms of value where you're seeing guys get six, $7 million annually to, to play the backup position on a certain team because of how important that personnel grouping is going to, is starting to be with certain offensive coordinators in the NFL. But for the 49ers, they're looking for the tight ends. They had, they essentially took two shots at it with a third and a seventh rounder. Personally, seemed like I liked the Willis pick more at the draft and good to see him start off. Again, what Jordan said, important, don't don't write off a player because of one training camp. Uh, Cameron Latu should not be written off just because he, you know, he had a couple of drops, uh, you know, didn't flash as much as the other guy or something like that. Because preseason and really that's the place where they're going to get the most reps as possible. And Latu with his draft status likely automatically makes the roster. He's going to get a chance to develop. And so we'll be curious to see how his kind of trajectory goes forward. And if, you know, once that development kind of period hits, how the 49ers would look to use a player like Latu. Definitely. And, you know, again, with tight ends um, specifically, I always like to give them a year or two to really, find their footing. I think George Kittle being just awesome right away. And, you know, uh, year two was when he had that historic season, but even in year one, he was doing so many things really well as a rookie. I think it's um, unfortunately created some unrealistic expectations of those following him um, where you kind of get this expectation that guys are just going to be good right away. And it's just not always the case. 
Speaking about the skill position groups, in a way, grouping them together, I honestly believe that this might be one of the deeper and stronger rosters the 49ers have um, you know, brought to, together coming into training camp. We can talk about the quarterbacks all we want, but running back seems like you got solid talent where you might have five names that could make a 53-man roster. Receivers got a ton of talent. Tight ends got, you know, it's there. But uh, overall, it seems like skill position players, 49ers have some good talent. What have you seen from the receivers or the running backs that you want to point out? Well, the running backs to start, dude, the running backs are just exceptional. And, you know, it all starts with Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is an incredible football player. But I think the biggest thing to me is that the depth behind him looks extremely explosive for how physical uh, those guys are capable of being. So like TDP and Mason have been the standouts in camp. And both of those guys have no problem running north to south and really creating, uh, you know, uh, a difficult task to wrap them up over the course of a game, especially as you get into the fourth quarter. It's a lot harder to bring guys like that down. But, you know, I was really impressed with Mason as a receiver. I thought that he flashed some great ability as a pass catcher, um, which is something that he never was unable to do, but he just wasn't really asked to do at Georgia Tech or at um, during his first year with the Niners. And so I was really encouraged by that. And then, you know, for the receivers, it's like it's hard because uh, everything starts with Debo and Ayuk, and then you have Kittle and McCaffrey and all these people you're allocating targets to. But they have a very deep group. It just might not be reflected by statistics just based on the fact that there's only so much football to go around and so many guys higher up that pecking order. But I think they're going to have some tough decisions um, come cut day because, you know, I like veteran guys like Willie Sneed. I think he's dependable. He's reliable. Um, I also think that having guys like, you know, Tay Martin have some upside who are a bit younger, um, that that could be a viable option. Uh, So they're going to have some tough decisions, I think, when it comes to the receivers on cut day. And it might be in another case of roster politics with obviously the practice squad in play and understanding where different receivers, you know, could uh, fall to the practice squad and things. A case that I'm interested in, probably not a lot of fans are interested in, is Chris Conley. Because I honestly think Conley's got a good shot to make a 53 elsewhere. And so if he gets cut by the 49ers, they wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't return and instead finds a, finds a home elsewhere, especially with a strong preseason. But the receivers, what you pointed out, is very interesting because I think the first question to say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
ask about this group is, are they carrying five or will they carry six? Because I think five shortens the gap to where they could very much entertain the same receivers they carried last year if they choose to use that extra roster spot elsewhere. But if they carry six, I think it opens up the possibility, you know, Tay Martin, Ronnie Bell, Chris Conley, Willie Sneed. You've got a couple of names that have made plays throughout training camp and have, you know, they, they deserve a shot at a 53-man roster spot where joint practices preseason could really indicate it and give one player the upper edge in that competition. Yeah, five is really hard. I'll be, I was on Ryan uh, Hensley's show earlier, and we were talking about that, and I'm like, man, five, they're, they're putting themselves in a really hard position if they cut it down to five. Six becomes a little bit easier. I still think there's some talented players who'd be left out. Um, but, you know, I do think, like, you know, after Debo and Ayuk, I think Jennings is – he's too well-rounded of a player, and he's just too proven in big moments. Right. Like, every time there's a third down you need to convert or you're in the red zone, Dwan Jennings is a guy that you can rely on. I think based on that alone – He's safe. Danny Gray, it's year two. He looks a little bit improved. He's a third-round pick from a year ago. Uh, with the rare exception of, like, what happened with Trey Sermon, like, you typically don't see that high of a draft pick cut that soon. So I'd be really surprised if he didn't make it. And then, you know, like, Ray Ray McLeod. Ray Ray McLeod gave them something in the return game they hadn't had for years, which was somebody that was going to give them seven, eight, nine yards almost every punt where you're getting that field position that you were sacrificing, essentially, where it felt like for five years, every 49ers punt returner was fair catching every single punt. Um, and I think Ray Ray McLeod is very valuable because of that. And then you saw what he could do during the commanders game when they were able to get his, uh, get him the ball creatively. He's still very dynamic as a playmaker, um, but his special teams value is too much to overlook. That's where I would make him a lock. So it's like, you're looking at essentially those five guys right there. You, as you've mentioned, like those are a lock. So it really comes down to, do you carry six? And if you do, you lean with a veteran like Conley or Willie Sneed. You go younger with Tay Martin. Like Ronnie Bell, I think, has a very, very uh, uphill battle, and it's not anything that he hasn't done or needs to do. It's just like it's, this group is very deep, and it's really hard to expect him to beat out a proven veteran. Um, so I'll be honest. I, I think it's going to be Sneed, but, again, I was there for three days, so I'm not going to sit here and act like I watched every rep they took during camp. But um, I, I've always – thought Willie Sneed had a little bit of, you know, we always talk about intangibles with quarterbacks. Willie Sneed burst on the scene in New Orleans and immediately had the trust of Drew Brees. And to me, that spoke volumes that he was doing something to earn the trust of a Hall of Fame quarterback like that. And I think the, again, the word I was used to describe, he's, he's reliable. And so, you know, if they could get him on the practice squad, I, I would absolutely chalk that up as a win for the 49ers. But if it comes down to, uh, you know, losing him or keeping him, I personally would try and keep him. So maybe it's just my own bias lens that I'm looking at this through. But uh, I, I think Willie Sneed's a guy where he's dependable. And honestly, I don't disagree with your logic. I think it is really tough if you choose to carry five because of the five locks. I think those five have been locks. Even, you know, you could try and make an argument against one of the guys, maybe Jennings, maybe McLeod. But I think their arguments are just rock solid to where you look elsewhere and see if you can open up a six spot. And I've got a 53-man projection, I believe, dropping in the morning, and it's got six receivers on it. I, I do think the 49ers find a way to fit six receivers onto this roster um, and, you know, find find a way to maneuver the practice squad well and get some other players that they could make the 53-man roster onto the practice squad, uh, potentially an offensive lineman where they instead only carry eight instead of nine or, you know, 
different different uh, position groups where you might trade a running back or move a running back or something like that, and you carry four instead of the five that you have. Some uh, you, you find different ways to create open holes on the roster so that you could fit in an extra receiver to where you said not only would provide special teams value, but also could develop an early rapport with your uh, with your with your quarterback. To where it's not just like he's thrown in as a decoy on some uh, on some different plays and is just phased out of the offense. Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree with that. And you know, it's it's going to be so hard. This is it feels like I say it every year, but like this is going to be the hardest cut down they've had because there's there's not really like weakness anywhere. Like there's not really right. everywhere is loaded, and there's so many good players, and there's only so many spots. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's interesting, too, now the final cut day, you're not cutting as the preseason goes along. You just have one big cut at the end. So I think it's a lot harder to get a read, excuse me, on um, where these guys are going to end up going, you know. No, I definitely agree. Got a question here. Do you think Elijah Mitchell's time with the 49ers is coming to an end? What do you think about that? So I would say no. I know that the talk around Elijah Mitchell lately that I've been seeing is, you know, he has a lot of injuries. He's injury prone, uh, which, you know, it, it's been an unfortunate reality that he's been hurt a few times. But the one thing that I always come back to with Elijah Mitchell is in the playoffs and regular season, his combined NFL workload, he's carried the ball, I believe, 352 times. I apologize if that number's off, but if I'm remembering off the top of my head, 352 times, not only has he never – had a fumble recovered by the opposing team. He's never once fumbled the ball that the Niners recovered flat out, never lost the football while it's been in his hands. And to me, like, I think Kyle Shanahan for somebody that's so, um, you know, uh, obsessed with limiting turnovers and, you know, which every coach is, but with Kyle, it feels like you fumble once, like the, the leash is very short, that level of ball security to me. And he's a very good running back too, right? Like, don't get me wrong. He's really good. Um, very efficient runner, but his ball security is what separates him from everybody else. And, you know, um, I'll knock on wood as I say this, like he's never fumbled in the NFL. That's an insane amount of volume to not even have one fumble or have one that the offense fell, fell on, had a lucky bounce. Um, so that level of dependability for me is why I just think that unless it's like a career altering injury where he's really hurt and it's just the future doesn't look good. I don't see the 49ers parting ways anytime soon. I think that level of dependability and trust is far too valuable to let him go. Now, I really respect that opinion. I think that everything that Mitchell brings to the table is valuable. But I also think the 49ers look to try and salvage some value in certain situations. And I think that this one could be one. Do I think Mitchell gets traded? I can't give a certainty on that. But the way that I look at this position, heading into training camp, I was not comfortable moving Elijah Mitchell. I thought that, you you know, you had to make sure he was on this roster because to me, I think the 49ers need three real solid backs that they can trust in this offense. One due to the injuries and two due to the split of reps that they've had over the past few seasons. And I thought Jordan, uh, Jordan Mason, I mean, he had a couple of fumble issues, which is important. And you could see reps sometimes deteriorating or Davis Price getting in with the first team as a result. But I thought that Jordan Mason still proved he to be a hard runner. Davis Price was the clear standout. I mean, he he emerged onto the scene to be, you know, an option now that should be in the 49ers offense. And then you've obviously got McCaffrey, who's got the ability to take a bell cow load. You, of course, don't want that. You want to make sure he's ready for the playoffs. But with those three ready and Colin Laybourne, a guy who it seems they like and could potentially make this roster, 
I wouldn't mind the 49ers looking to move Mitchell and bringing Laybourne onto the 53, getting four years of solid team control on, uh, for him and, you know, getting their four guys in that realm, getting a little healthier in that mix while also giving up a bit of the dependability that you have trusting the guys at the top pretty much. Absolutely. You know, the thing with Laybourne that I know, again, I was there for three days, right? So it's like, um, take whatever I say with that context included is he looked electric with the ball in his hands. He looked like a guy who's really fit, like, you know, everything's as advertised, but he's also a rookie. And I think that there was some reps I watched in pass protection where I'm kind of like, I don't know if this is a situation where the Niners are okay with it. And they're like, we're going to have to develop this. But that to me is the most important thing you can do as a running back in this offense, because they're going to find ways to open up running lanes, right? Like we've seen, a lot of guys come through and have success, which they deserve credit for. But it's not like, you know, you need to be this all-world talent as a runner to succeed in this scheme. But if you can't keep uh, Brock Purdy or Trey Lance or Sam Darnold or whoever the quarterback is back there upright, I would have a hard time seeing, um, you know, them spend a valuable roster spot on somebody they'd have those concerns with. And I'm not saying that that's the case with Laybourne. I'm just saying, like, with younger running backs, that typically is the thing that will, you know um, – prevent them from making an immediate impact. So I'm not saying that it's something that I've seen consistently. Just, there was a couple of times where I'm like, oh, you know, it, this is kind of par for the course for a younger guy, but I'm really interested to see, uh, you know, after joint practices, uh, extended preseason work, especially if some of those, you know, starters or higher end guys are getting more rest, um, what he's him and, you know, anybody else they might bring in who's a younger back is able to do uh, in pass protection because, it's kind of, you know, it's not glamorous. Nobody wants to talk about running backs, picking up blitzes and stuff, but it's so vital for the success of this team. And uh, I'll be definitely keeping a close eye on it. And that's something that a lot of people pointed to with Jordan Mason as the reason why he might have not gotten extended reps last uh, last season behind Christian McCaffrey. While mm -hmm. you, you know, in the way that that rep split was. My logic behind it is I tr I truly want three guys in the room. And so that's where I think they could afford to develop Laybourne, but obviously there's also the fact of do you want to push all in mitchell probably gives you a better chance of doing that in that you have four strong guys instead of just three in the room and you know you you could probably develop Laybourne in the practice squad if he makes it there and continue that tough decision the 49ers will see what they end up doing there but if they could salvage you know a fifth round pick or whatever for elijah mitchell wonder if they do pull the trigger I'll be honest, you know, Jeff Mays, or sorry, not Jeff Mays, I had Jordan Mays on my mind. Jeff Wilson Jr. was one of the, you know, hands down, I thought, you know, just a dependable guy that you couldn't get rid of. Like one of my favorite backs to watch on this team, got tough yards, was a good receiver, was good in uh, pass protection, did everything you could have asked. And he got phased out to the point where if I'm remembering correctly, I'm pretty sure he kind of like was, it was, a, it was a workload thing. I was like, hey, can I, you know, move somewhere where I can get some more touches? And they amicably, worked a deal to get him into Miami in a system that he's comfortable in. But I never thought I'd see the day where Jeff Wilson got traded. So uh, as much as mm -hmm. I have a hard time seeing it with Elijah Mitchell, if it happened to Jeff Wilson, I don't think that you can rule it out with somebody like him as well. Um, I just That's true. That you, yeah. you, you have to be certain that hey, it worked for the Niners. And, you know, Jordan Mason stepped in and was phenomenal. He averaged, if I remember correctly, it was like 6.3 yards a carry, 6.4 yards per carry. Um, it was very efficient with the touches he did get. So, you know, we don't really – we didn't spend a ton of time, you know, harping on the Niners for making that move to move Jeff Wilson. But if you move a guy like Mitchell and then the guys coming in behind him or fumbling or struggling a little bit, then that, you know, four and a half yards of carry or whatever he's been averaging, you start to really miss it. And all of a sudden you're like, 
how valuable is this fifth round pick compared to the guy that we could trust, especially come playoff time. So I think it's a very delicate dance that you have to have when weighing these things. But, um, you know, the draft capital, it, it's important. And, hey, it's kind of an overused you know joke at this point, but fifth round picks for the 49ers are almost like a third round pick for anybody else. So uh, right. you know, it, it's kind of hard to, to just turn your head away from those entirely, right? No, definitely. I, I think that that's important for sure. And, again – it's something where they understand where they're at at in, in with the position group. Same with what they did with Jeff Wilson, a guy who was loved by the franchise. And you could tell in the exit interview uh, when John Lynch talked about the trade, how much they cared about placing him in a place where they felt he was comfortable. And uh, that, that was even after he requested a trade, right? It wasn't just, you know, try and get him off, make sure he, he you get recoup something. And so I do wonder what happens at the running backs. Got to be a little negative, but let's talk about some of the fallers. Guys who, um, you know, you had higher expectations for. What do you think? Um, You know, I, I would start with, you know, Cameron Law, too, was a guy I didn't really get a chance to watch a ton of. But I was a little, you know, it seemed like even the days I wasn't there, there was a lot of reporting um, that there were some drop issues. So I was a little, you know, I, I expected to see a little bit more there, to be honest. Uh, I, I'd watched some of his tape at Alabama, and he looked like a, you know, a guy with strong hands and somebody that was dependable. So it could just be, again, you know, something that he's kind of working through. But I definitely, um, for what the capital they invested in him and the opportunity that seems to be there, where there's not really a strong hold on the, you know, spots behind Kittle there, I was a little disappointed. And then, you know, it, it seems like it's uh, it's every year at this point. But, um, you know, it, it feels like the secondary depth just beyond – the starters is kind of inconsistent. There wasn't anybody I watched where I was like, Oh my God, this guy's terrible. And it does have to be accounted for that. The Niners skill position guys are really good. And it's really hard for anybody to stay in front of them. But um, it wasn't necessarily like fallers, but more so just kind of like my area of concern is like, are they in a position where they can have somebody step up the way that Demo Lenore did last year when Mosley unfortunately went down for the year? Like, as of now, I'm like, I, I don't know who that guy would be. And so that would probably be the biggest thing for me is um, I, I apologize if that didn't answer it properly, but I'm trying to think off the top of my head. And it was more so just like I have a concern with this rather than like this person was so terrible. How are they on the field? I, I do. I, I understand what you mean. And again, it's really tough when you don't have such a huge sample size to go off, when you don't have tape to go off and things like that. Uh, that that's it. Th those are two interesting names, though. You talked about lots. Of, you talked about you know some of the back end guys, things like that. I'll go. I'll go with the. I'll go right at the head of the snake, and that is the quarterback position. I honestly thought that the entire room was a faller because I I went into camp hoping that one of the three guys would overwhelm to where you you felt confident in a certain guy in the room, and when you hear about practice reports and things like that about them three kind of sticking together and being around this in a similar place. And it's not necessarily because they're all at a great performances because they're all standing out. It does give you some cause for concern. Do the 49ers have their guy and things like that. And I'm going to throw you a comment uh, that, uh, you know, kind of popped into my mind, told, uh, talked with it about, uh, talked about it with Rob Guerrero. And I, I, I'm expecting some pushback, but I want to hear what you have to say. My comment was, uh, why is Sam Donald on this team? The reason I say it is truly I question the value 
of having two solid but middling backup quarterbacks. I think that when you have a competition, I understand it when you're, you you think somebody should push the starter. And back then, I mean, Kyle Shanahan said it too. It was more so a hedge on Brock Purdy's health, which I understand. But I do think that there were a lot of other options that you could have gone with except uh, apart from Sam Donald. Give me some logic here on what you think. Uh, yeah, you know, I think so. You know, I, I'm a Pac-12 guy. I'm a Cal fan, unfortunately. So I watched a ton of, you know, what will soon be the extinct Pac-12. I've watched a ton of, you know, over the years. So I watched a lot of Darnold in college. I was really high on him coming out. Uh, you know, I always go back that Rose Bowl game he played against Penn State. Uh, he did things with his arm that made him uh, a very appealing option in my eyes. And, hey, you know, at a certain point, you can't make excuses for a guy forever. But I think it was a situation where it's like, we see the talent that's there. We see, you know, I, I don't know about you. I was exceptionally impressed with how good of an athlete he is. He did not strike me as somebody yeah, who was very athletic. That is true. Tremendous athlete. Um, very surprised by that. And I think it's just a situation where it's like, Kyle Shanahan's not an idiot, right? Like he knows how beneficial the system is for quarterbacks. And he knows uh, that he's going to put guys in a better position to succeed than the majority of schemes around the NFL will. And I just think it really comes down to he was somebody that was available. I think at the time there was still a lot of uncertainty surrounding Brock Purdy. And, you know, uh, Trey Lance is coming off of, you know, a year that he missed due to injury where you don't know necessarily if that's going to be a seamless transition back. And they had the opportunity to bring in a guy where the pressure wasn't going to be on for him to be the day one starter. But they're like, hey, if we can tap into some of this talent that's clearly there, because this is where I think people, you know, kind of fray in this argument is like people act like Sam Donald is just like terrible and has no talent. And I think there's a difference between not having production and not having talent. So if people say he hasn't been productive, that's totally fair game, right? Like there's numbers to back it up. We have years of uh, things to, you know, to go off of, but if we're talking talent, like there's plenty of tape that I can pull. That's, you know, I have, yeah. I'm doing my research in the off season where he is making throws and he is putting balls into tight windows and he is doing things where it's like, like, you know, maybe, maybe there's something there, like maybe there's something there. So I, I genuinely think it just came down to, uh, you know, there was so much unknown more so at the time, I believe with party. Cause I think Lance was farther along with his injury recovery by that point. Uh, right. Like, Hey, we could get this guy. And I'll be honest. I thought Darnold was going to have a chance to compete for the starting job, just based on the fact that he had signed immediately on day right. one. So my thinking was like, I didn't think he would sign that deal unless there was some kind of like, hey, you're going to have a chance to prove yourself here. Um, so, you know, I was wrong about that. It's, it's clearly been Purdy the whole way. And, you know, I I'd thought if Purdy was healthy, he would be the guy. But I was, you know, still kind of like, yeah, Sam Darnold signed really fast here. Like that, you know, it's a great place to be. Love the Bay Area. Love to live here. Who wouldn't want to be here, right? But I'm like, they want a free agency for that cheap. Like something's something's fishy here, right? Like it seemed like there was something off. Um, so, you know, I think it really just comes down to having an opportunity. It's like, kind of like, you know, like I have a friend who's really into old cars, right? And he'll have a, to what me looks like, you know, a rusty piece of junk sitting in his garage for three years. But in his mind, he's not thinking about what it looks like now. He's thinking about when he refurbishes it, refixes the engine, does all the mechanical things that I know nothing about. And so I don't know if that's the best analogy, but that's kind of what I think of with somebody like Sam Darnold, where it's like maybe Kyle Shanahan isn't looking at Sam Darnold like this, you know, th this car that maybe is overlooked by people. He's looking about what I can remodel and return, you right. know, this into. So that would be my guess. 
And I mean, like the reason I said that question was to try and get that logic out of you because personally, thinking about that statement since I since I talked on Thursday or so, um, I've kind of just thought thought back truly, truly tried to grasp it. And I think the 49ers were fine budgeting more money towards the quarterback position when they are already one of the bottom teams in terms of the money spent at that position. And so when you look at the ideal contract, I mean, it's five, it's what I think the cap is around $5.9 million, which puts the overall room at around $16 million this year, which is still fairly low when considering a quarterback situation. And so to me, that's that's where I'm like, I think that I think it's fine. And I also think that that extra money, I mean, they would have used it, but I also think that they were fine not necessarily using that extra money. And it's clear with the way that their roster has come together, right? Point point out the holes on this roster. You can't really find too many, even in the depth positions. I mean, uh, maybe maybe you can point out offensive tackle, the swing tackle role, maybe. I mean, at, at right tackle, regardless, even if you had $16 million in cap space, there's probably not a player the 49ers, one, would have paid at that price, and two, would have probably, you know, if they were going to get somebody, it was likely going to be McGlinchey. But with the way that right tackles are going at this rate, I think that, you know, they they probably were content with the, with the way uh, that they were going to go about this offseason with the Kivitz there. And so the reason that I've gotten a little more fond of the idea in the last few days, again, it was just a random thought, was just because I think that they honestly were fine not spending that money. And so I'm totally good with, you know, spending that money in this situation for the insurance, thinking back then that Purdy probably, you know, Shanahan said it was going to be six to eight months, which was week one to week four. And so that I, I can understand it in that perspective. But yeah, wanted to get your take on that. I would ask anybody who has, you know, uh, an issue with the quarterback room too. just think back just to a few, and it, again, it's what are the odds of this happening again? Who knows? But think back to that NFC championship game. Would you rather have what happened happen? Or would you rather have Sam Darnold enter that game, you know, after when it's still a one score game in the first half? I undoubtedly would rather have Sam Darnold out there. They probably could have had a chance to win that game um, if Sam Darnold was there. I'm not saying they would have. I think that the Eagles won the game, and I don't think there's any point in wasting time in hypotheticals, but you would have been at least more competitive than you were. Uh, you know, I always, you know, not like joke about because it it's really unfortunate the guys got hurt. That's what led to it. But kind of like in my mind, I'm like picturing the scenario where like they're going to Christian McCaffrey and handing him the, the helmet with the green sticker on it, and they're like, Hey, dude, like you're a quarterback now. Like, how how the heck do you get to that point in an NFC championship game? So for me, it's kind of like um, you know, anything you could do to prevent that from being the one thing that keeps you from winning. Because I think the most frustrating thing with this, you know, team, you know, for fans, um, obviously has been that they haven't won. But I think about these guys who've been on the team, coaching the team, it's just like, man, it finally felt like everything was coming together and this was gonna be the year they really could do it. And it wasn't that they didn't play well. They literally played a championship game without a quarterback that could throw the ball downfield for the majority of the game, pretty much. Uh, and I just think that anything you could do to prevent that from ever being a situation where that injury at that position is keeping you from being competitive, you spend the money. And you, you nailed it. Like the If Brock Purdy wasn't making as little money as he's making, you probably can't make a move like that. So maybe they just capitalized on the fact that you know, if you if you look at Purdy's contract in the grand scheme of things, it almost cancels out. Like it's not there because it's such a small cap hit. Um, you probably yeah. remember. I I, bl- I know it's under a million. Um, but yeah. So given that, um, yeah, I, I, it makes sense. Like it, to me, it makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the portion of it, and it also brings back what you said earlier. And again, take this as you may against the starting quarterback, but the fact that you 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 don't really see too big of a difference in the play of all three quarterbacks thus far gives you first of all confidence in all three of the options. Uh, if you at least see one of them playing well, you know it gives you confidence, understanding that the other two played at a similar level. It can be taken as, as an indictment as, you know, there should be a clear-cut winner for you to feel confident about your starter. But they, you know, I think the 49ers, because of what they've had in the offseason, I don't know if they should feel strongly about their quarterback situation overall, but I think they feel strongly that if one guy goes down, you've got a guy who can play at a similar level to back him up. Yeah, and, you know, I was there for three days, right? So, again three days. I don't want to keep repeating it, but I just want it to be known that I wasn't there for all the 10 days that were open. But for the three days I was there, if I'm looking at everything, you know, as a whole there, I thought Brock Purdy looked the best. And the biggest thing to me was I thought he was the most consistent. And I thought he was the guy that, you know, kept the offense on schedule. And I think it's really hard when you're watching from the side and they're running play after play after play, and you don't really have time to kind of break. It's not like where we can sit here and watch all 22 and spend a lot of time breaking things down. Um, so I get it. The big flash plays and the, you know, the, the, where you're throwing on the run or you're throwing balls 30 yards downfield, those are going to be the flash plays that stick. But to me, Purdy did so many little things. Um, like he had this ball that he threw to Ayuk uh, with, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Oren Burks was like draped all over Ayuk. As good a you're saying the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as good a coverage as you could ask for from a linebacker. Like literally he had to put that ball – right on him on stride with, you know, um, Burks trailing him. And, you know, he did that and he did that over and over again, where it, it may not seem like much when it's a, you know, quick slant, it's five yards up the field, whatever, but that's what this offense is predicated on. And to me, Brock Purdy was a guy where he was able to do that consistently. And I think that's why his teammates bought into him so quickly because they didn't feel they, I, I think if, if they did have this feeling, it went away very quickly but I got the vibe that they never felt like, well, you know, we lost Trey, we lost Jimmy, the season's over. Like, let's pack it in. Like that drive he had in Miami, that first touchdown drive he had, I think he really, you know, you could feel the energy where these guys are kind of like, hey, we might have something here. And, you know, we're uh, back. Yeah. I, I did some, uh, when I was at the Pro Bowl, I did a, an article about, you know, just where these guys kind of saw something with Brock. Fred Warner was talking about in like OTAs. He's like, man, you know, we're here in shorts, you know, and I'm paraphrasing this, but, you know, his, the gist of it was like, man, we're out here in shorts, you know, getting some work in and whatever. And this guy's treating it like game seven of the World Series. And I knew right then and there, like there was this kind of competitive fire that's there. So to me, it's not that Sam Darnold or Trey Lance aren't capable of leading the team or having guys buy in. But I think for Brock Purdy, the fact that he did get everybody to buy in only further increased his stock on top of what he's able to do on the field. So like, to me, I, I didn't really think there was much of a competition going in because I didn't think that anything that these guys could do during camp um, would be worth more weight than what Purdy did during the regular season. And after what I saw at the three days I was at camp, I just was like, hey, he's, he's doing the little things that matter. And it may not be very flashy. It may not, you know, end up on SportsCenter's top 10 or, you know, on loop on NFL Network on Sunday night but it's going to win football games. And I think that right now the 49ers don't really care who their quarterback is as long as they're confident they can win football games. And to me, Brock Purdy, having them having that confidence in Brock Purdy is not an indictment on Trey Lance or Sam Darnold. It just means that Purdy got a chance. 
He took advantage of it, and it's basically his job to lose. It doesn't mean that he's exempt from, you know, if he goes out and he plays terribly for the first five or six weeks, that leash might get really short, but you have to at least let him lose his job, if that makes sense. Like, I never thought that that was something that was at risk during uh, training camp. I agree. I mean, I thought the 49ers, you know, that's the one thing they tried to make clear. You've heard a lot of um, times where they've been iffy before in the past, you know, about naming a starting quarterback, that type of thing. They didn't outright name one, but they did as close as you could to doing it with the way that they've handled Purdy since his return. And again, the number one thing when it comes to Brock Purdy is how remarkable this recovery is with the timeline that was initially set. He came back early. Seems like, you know, even with the throwing program, the days he's out there, it's without restrictions and things like that. And now, you know, he's the unquestioned starter. And I agree with the process of them, you know, going with Purdy just because it's important, first of all, um, to, to see what you have. Second of all, with the way that he played last year. Um, so I think, yeah, the overall body of work is certainly important with the 49er situation. And that's where we go. Uh, at least that's where we end leading into – the joint practices and the preseason. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's a situation where it's also, you know, I keep going back to like they averaged 30 points a game with him as the starter last year, unless that drops right. off dramatically. And again, the problem that I think that happens is that if you say that the assumption from a lot of people is like, well, you're saying that Trey Lance couldn't do it or that Sam Darnold couldn't do it or whoever else. And that's not the case that I personally am making. I'm just saying that Brock Purdy did do it. And until he doesn't do it, it's really hard to sell that to your team. Like, I hate to say we had the same problem in 2021 where it's like, you know, even if Trey Lance is the guy that they'd spent all this capital on and he's, you know, has the ability to uh, to run the ball and there's all these different things he does, it's really hard to sell to a locker room that won a ton of football games with Jimmy Garoppolo that like, hey, this unproven commodity that might be good is better than the guy in your eyes played a major role in you winning a lot of football games. And at the end of the day, um, tough decisions have to be made. These are grown men. They know that. But the human element does matter a lot. And I think it's really hard to um, sell a team on something that, you know, like, like it would be really hard to start somebody else that wasn't Brock Purdy. Like it has to play out where if it is going to end up being somebody else in the long run, they have to get a chance that comes from either Brock Purdy playing poorly or if there's an unfortunate injury again or something and somebody, um, you know, has to step in. Maybe that's kind of the way it goes. You obviously don't ever want that to be the case. But I just don't see a, uh, a realistic scenario where you could have started Trey Lance or Sam Darnold after what Purdy did, unless he was hurt still. Like, if they're all healthy, I just don't see how you can right. sell that to the team. No, I agree. And I mean, I think that Kyle Shanahan's also made that clear that that's important. You know, not only his his input, but really what the overall team believes about the situation. And that's been made clear. Seems like right now you, you can't take away with what he's done. And I think that that'd be unfair to Purdy itself, you know, to take away from what he's done, especially with the way his recovery has gone so far. Yeah, absolutely. And his, you know, you mentioned it, like his recovery has been just like, unreal and uh, you know i have a friend who's uh you know he, he just wrapped up med school and he's uh he's out doing his residency and stuff and you know he obviously he's not looking at charts and he's not looking at he, he, this is completely outsider's perspective but he was telling me he's like dude football is so different than baseball like i think because there's so few of these injuries in football we don't understand how different it is from the recovery from you know a pitcher in baseball who's having to use that arm 
uh, put a lot more stress on it. So while I was very surprised by it, maybe Brock Purdy is kind of the case where it's like if this unfortunate injury happens to another quarterback, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's not as doom and gloom as we kind of expected it to be, you know, um, when the news first broke. No, definitely, definitely. But, Jordan, it's been a phenomenal 50 minutes. We've talked a lot. We've talked about the standouts, quarterbacks, the fallers, all that went on in 49ers training camp as we prepare to get on with joint practices and the first preseason game this Saturday, I believe, or this Sunday, I believe. Any last comments before we head on out today? No, just, you know, I, I really respect your hustle and your grind. Dude. I always tell you when I see you, I, I have tremendous respect for the work that you do. And I'm seeing you're putting out six, seven articles a day, which is, you know, I like to pride myself on working hard. But, uh, you know, it's a level that I just I'm in awe of and I really do respect. Um, keep it up. And, you know, like, hey, I, I'm very blessed that, I you know, I'm having doors open for me. Um, and, you know, the same will be happening for you if you keep at it at a, at a much more rapid pace, given uh, the amount, the amount of volume you're putting out there. I, again, have tremendous respect for it and, uh, you know, ho hope to catch you soon before I imagine you're going back to school somewhat soon. Yeah. Yeah. We got a little bit of time before that, but, uh, likewise here, because I mean, you've done a phenomenal job. We've stayed in touch and you've done a great job. I mean, not only with Niners nation and now with a huge opportunity over there at NBC, uh, sports. So congrats on that. Wish you all the best and Everybody in the chat, thank you guys so much for tuning in, as always, to today's show. We will be back live soon, but there is going to be a little break, guys. I will say that. We are going to have a little break uh, starting tomorrow through Sunday. I'm going to be out of town, so won't see a show talking about the game immediately on Sunday. We'll be back Monday probably talking about the show. Thank you guys so much. As always, Jordan, appreciate you. We'll catch you guys next time. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.